I'm really excited you decided to come. To be honest, I'm having second thoughts. Why? I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I'm talented enough. So, uh, you still doing triathlons? You know what? I'm not, actually. After winning two years in a row, it gets kind of old. I moved on to whitewater rafting, actually. And you know what? That's fun. Until you run five, seven times in a row. <sighs> it gets boring pretty fast. How about you? What are you up to? Oh, you know, I don't got time for that. I just got a promotion at work. It's my first year with this uh, company, but, uh, <laughs> I guess I got a knack for it. <laughs> Dude, you are just a natural. Me? Oh, no, no, you! You, Mr. Talented! Uh, so, uh, what about you? What'd you think? Yeah. No. Well, today we're going to continue the sermon series, I'm Not Blank Enough. And I've been saying during the series that if you're struggling, if you have ever struggled with feelings of inferiority, then this series is for you. If you've ever thought, I need a breakthrough in my life, and I, I don't think I'm ever, I'm ever going to have that breakthrough, that that thing that'll that'll make me successful in my life, the breakthrough I need, then this series is for you. If you've ever convinced yourself that you don't have what it takes to be successful, then this series is for you. And so far in this series, we've addressed the correct biblical responses to these feelings of inferiority about our intelligence. We talked about I'm not smart enough. And uh, feelings of inferiority about our looks. We talked about I'm not attractive enough. And today's message is going to be I'm not talented enough. Not talented enough. Have you ever noticed how our culture seems to be obsessed with talent shows, with identifying talent, with displaying talent? Every school has a talent show, right? Every school has a talent show. And a lot of times they even call the talent shows after those very popular TV talent shows. So instead of America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent, it's like Central's Got Talent or Lakeview's Got Talent or whatever the name of the school might be. And, and speaking of TV, there are so many of these talent show uh, uh, competitions on TV, from The Voice to the, you know, just a different competitions, people identifying talent and, and people, as I said, displaying their, their talent. It seems like everybody likes having a talent they want to show off. And some talents are obvious. If you see somebody singing or somebody competing, somebody performing, uh, maybe a physical uh, talent like a, a, an athletic event, a sport, those talents are obvious. And other talents, maybe not so obvious. Maybe they're, they're hidden talents. How many of you here would say that you have a hidden talent? Anybody here have a hidden talent? You might not know this, but I have a hidden talent. I have a hidden talent. I'm not going to demonstrate it today, but I can kill a fly with my bare hands. I can. Yes. It's not very nice. <laughs> it's not very pretty. But uh, once in a while, when I was still teaching full-time, I would, I would demonstrate if there was a fly. And of course, I only do this when there's not a fly swatter around, right? It's not like I go out looking for flies. But uh, in, in the classroom, once in a while, there'd be a fly buzzing around. And, and so I'd say, hey, guys, watch this. I'm going to kill this fly with my hands. No, you're not. You know, kids are. Yeah, I am. And then I do it, and they're like, whoa. And then I, like, but I always made sure somebody had some hand sanitizer before I killed it. Uh, so one of these days I'll demonstrate. Not today. Today, what we are going to do is look at a story of a man 
who thought he didn't have any useful abilities. He thought he didn't have any skills, any talents, especially considering what God was asking him to do. But God let him know that there's something more important than individual talent, something more important that would cause him to be successful, that would cause him to, to uh, be able to carry out God's instructions. They were going to be very difficult instructions. But God let him know, you think you don't have talent, you think you don't have the skill, the ability to do what I'm asking you to do, but there's something else that you do have. In fact, I might tell you there were actually two things. These are my two points for today. God told him, what you need more than talents is my presence and your obedience. My presence and your obedience are better than talent. Not that talent is not important. Whatever skills and abilities we have are, are uh, obviously God-given and they're very important. But what we want to learn today is that when you think you're not talented enough, as long as you have God's presence and you're willing to obey God, then that fills in the holes. Now this story takes place back before Israel had kings like you know King Saul and King David and all the other kings. Back, back before the era of the, of the kingdoms, they were actually living in the promised land. Uh, Moses had taken them out. Of, of Egypt, and then you know had other leaders, Joshua and so on. And they're still in the promised land, which was, at this point, you know, they're not in the desert anymore. They're in the promised land, which is, was an answer to prayer. But they still had a very serious problem. At this time, at the time of this story, in the book of Judges, we're going to read Judges chapter 6 here in just a minute. Judges 6. And uh, at, at this point in time, they're in the promised land, but they have a very serious problem. And their problem was called the Midianites. It was a group of people called the Midianites. They were Israel's enemies. And they, they attacked Israel time after time. In fact, every time that Israel planted their crops, and you know how important this is. When they planted their crops, the Midianites would come, they would attack them. The Bible says in Judges chapter 6, they would come like swarms of locusts. They would just overwhelm them. They would ruin their crops and they would kill all their livestock. They would kill their, their sheep, their cattle, their donkeys. And they, they overwhelmed them to such a point that the Israelites were afraid of the Midianites. And they were so afraid of them that they, they started hiding out in, in caves, in holes in the ground. They took refuge in, in, in any place that they could hide, caves, holes in the ground. And they began to cry out to God for help. Now, what's interesting about this is that the time, in a pre, uh, period of time before this, they had forgotten about God. They were ignoring God. They were following other gods. But suddenly, because the Midianites are attacking them, and have overwhelmed them. Now they remember God. And they begin to call out to God. As they were hiding in their caves. In their holes in the ground. They're calling out to God for help. And so God actually answered that. In, in his mercy. Even though they had been ignoring God. He uh, came uh, to one of the most unlikely characters. In all of Israel. This is not the person you would think God would, would appear to. And, and, and tell him you're going to deliver my people. He came to a man named Gideon. Gideon. And here's what happened in Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Judges 6, 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Beazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat. Listen to this. He was threshing wheat in a wine press 
to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this is what is called a theophany, which is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And most of the time, a theophany was an appearance of God in human form, although he could appear in other types of form, like maybe a burning bush. But this is an appearance of God in, in uh, human form. He's called the angel of the Lord. And he, he says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now he calls a mighty warrior because the word Gideon means mighty warrior. But this mighty warrior wasn't very mighty at this time because uh, we just read that he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, what does that mean? Well, very simply, to thresh wheat means to separate the grain from the plant. It's a process of separating the grain from the plant. Normally, to, uh, the uh, process of threshing uh, wheat would happen out in this wide, in a, a big open area. There, there was a, a, a big space. It was a threshing floor. And so to thresh wheat, what they would do is they would put the wheat on this threshing floor. They take a stick and they would just beat the wheat with a stick until the, the grain would separate from the plant. Another way they would do this is that they would uh, sometimes take two oxen and yoke them together. And then the oxen would pull a piece of wood over the wheat and that would separate the grain from the plant. So obviously, threshing wheat required a big space, right? We're talking about oxen pulling this, this big piece of, of wood across a wheat uh, or just spreading out the wheat and hitting it with a stick to separate the grain from the plant. Obviously, that, that required a large space, a large threshing floor. Um, but the Bible says that Gideon was threshing wheat not on a threshing floor, but he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press was a little hole. It was a, it's a small pit in the ground. It was a place where they would extract the juice from the grapes. Now, some way, somehow, he got in there in the small hole, and he's beating the, the, the wheat. He's, he's threshing it in, in that uh, small hole. In fact, we have a picture of this, if you would show this to us. This is, there's still some, some, uh, some of these wine presses, these holes that they would, they would use in ancient Israel. There's still some of these places in, in modern Israel, just holes in the ground. So he was there, instead of out in the open, he was there because he was hiding. Remember, they're hiding from the Midianites. They're filled with, they're filled with fear, filled with fear, and they're hiding. So can you see the problem with trying to thresh wheat, which requires a lot of space, in a wine press? But again, Gideon was afraid of the Midianites. His fear drove him underground. And, and he's hiding and even working in these holes and these caves. So let's continue reading this story in verse 13. Judges six thirteen. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now basically, he's saying here, I'm not able to do this. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough to lead. 
I can't do this. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. As I said, he was the most unlikely person for God to appear, for the angel of the Lord to appear to and to tell him, you're the one. There were other men that if, if God had appeared to them, then the people of Israel would have said, oh, yeah, we knew it because he's such a leader. You know, look at him. He's big, strong. People flock to him. But Gideon, he's saying, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. So he seemed to be painfully aware of his shortcomings. He was the weakest man from the lowest family, from the smallest clan in the most, uh, in the least, I should say, significant tribe. So he's way down, way down at the bottom of the ladder, at the bottom of the totem pole, as we, as we say. He's saying, I, I can't do this. Look at me. I, I'm not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough. I have no abilities. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. I have no skills, no talent that would qualify me, that would qualify me to save Israel out of Midian's hand. I'm not able, I'm not talented enough as a leader or even as a warrior. Why do you call me mighty warrior? I'm hiding in a, in a hole in the ground. But notice God's response in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I will be with you. What was God promising to him? God was promising his presence. Now notice that God didn't disagree with Gideon when Gideon said, I have nothing to offer. God didn't say to him, oh, yes, you do. You have a lot to offer. And, and it's not because God, God didn't disagree with him because Gideon didn't really have anything to offer. He's just saying, look, there's something more important. I'm not looking for the most talented. I'm not looking for the most able. What I'm looking is, uh, for is someone that will obey me and someone that I can go with. He promised his presence to offset his lack of ability, his lack of skill or, or talent. Now, nobody ever really mistakes Gideon or Gideon's leadership with that of Moses and Joshua. I mean, Moses, I mean, he's like, he's like at the very top uh, of, you know, of, the, of the chain, of the ladder. Uh, when we talk about leadership of the people of Israel um, into the Old Testament, people are remembering Moses, their leader, who led them out of, of Egypt. And, of course, Joshua, who followed him. Now, Gideon did make it into the Hebrews Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. But at this point in time, nobody's mistaking Gideon with Moses. And yet, God gave Gideon the same promise that he had given Moses and Joshua to Moses God said, I will be with you. My presence will go with you. To, uh, to Joshua, he told him, as long as you follow me, as long as you don't turn to the left or to the right, my presence will go with you. So, so to these great leaders, God was saying, my presence is with you. And now to Gideon, he's given the same promise. He's saying, I will be with you. That's the most important thing. I will be with you. In fact, if we can talk a little bit more about Moses, because he was such a, a great leader, but... He also knew to trust more than anything else in God's presence. In Exodus 33, we read about a time when, when God was talking to Moses. Moses was talking to God. Moses had the habit of going to the tent of meeting, and he would meet with God there. So this is what happened. This is a conversation they're having in Exodus 33. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people. 
Basically, lead these people into the promised land. Lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, the reason he's saying this is because God had told him, look, this people of Israel, these people of Israel are so stubborn and rebellious that I am no longer going with you. I'm not going to go with you anymore. You're on your own. From here on in, you're on your own. This is why uh, Moses is saying, you know, you're telling me this. I want to know. You, you've got to confirm this. You've you got to let me know. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. And remember, we're talking about your people. I know you're saying you're not going to go with them anymore, but they're your people. So then God replies, the Lord replies in verse 14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Notice how much he values God's presence. If your presence does not go with us, don't make us go. I won't go without your presence. We won't move without your presence. That's how much he valued God's presence. At that time, as you know, God's presence was being manifested through a pillar of cloud uh, by day, through a pillar of fire by night. But Moses wanted more. In fact, if you continue reading this, Moses said this. Okay, if you're really with us, listen to this. If you're really with us, because God had said, I'm going to go with you. My presence will go with you. Moses said, okay, if you're really with us, then show me your glory. Show me your glory. He's saying, show us your presence. You're saying my presence is going to go with us. Show us your presence. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The Bible says that God passed before him, but Moses was not able to see his face because God said, nobody can see my face and live. But God passed before him, and, God, and Moses was able to see him as he passed by. So he, he got a glimpse of God's presence. He got a glimpse of God's glory. And notice how God describes His presence and His glory. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Then He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and compassion on whom I will have compassion. He describes His presence as goodness, mercy, and compassion. If you, and if you look at verse 14, in verse 14 He says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So God's presence is mercy, it's goodness, it's compassion, it's God's rest. When we're going through a trial, we have this rest, this spiritual rest. We have this confidence in God that though there's a storm about us, there's a storm around us, then yet we can be at rest because God is with us because of God's presence. So that's God's presence. His goodness, His mercy, His compassion, His rest with us as we journey through life. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we want? That's what, that's what Gideon heard from, from God when God says, said, I will go with you. I will be with you. And so here's what Gideon discovered about God's presence. 
Because remember, he's saying, I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill. I don't have the leadership training or the natural leadership ability to, to lead these people. I have no talents. And God says, I will go with you. What Gideon discovered, and Moses learned this as well, is that we need God's presence to fill in the gaps that are caused by our lack of abilities, skills, and talent. If you think that there's gaps in, in your life because you, don't, you say, I don't have any abilities, I don't have any skills, I don't have any talents. But you can have God's presence. And God's presence fills in the gaps. Fills in the gaps. And um, I don't know how many times, and I know that all of you could testify of this as well, that God's presence has filled in the gaps for me. When I find myself, when I find myself in a situation where I think, I don't know if I can do this. I've had the, the opportunity and the privilege uh, over the past few years, starting, I guess the first time was in the year 2000, uh, to judge some UIL choir contest. And um, I've done a few more after I retired. And Every time I judge these contests, and usually it's a two-day contest, and I'm sitting there with the other two judges in our panel, and I'm hearing all these uh, choirs come through. I've been able to judge in San Antonio a couple of times in the Corpus area in Austin, and I'm seeing these small choirs, big choirs, some really amazing choirs, some smaller choirs that struggle. But as I'm sitting there, I often, especially as we're starting, I think, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I can do this job. I just start feeling a little apprehensive because I want to do a good job. I want to be fair, and, and I want to be fair to the directors and to the kids who have worked so hard. And it's not like an athletic event where they have multiple games a year. This is like one time a year. You go to UIL, that's it. That's all you get, once a year. And, uh, and, and so many times I've had that thought, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I didn't, you know, these other directors are from large cities and had these great choirs, great programs. And, I, and I'm from San Angelo and I was at a small school, small program, and I don't belong here. And, and it's, it's God's presence. And I always praise that God help me, help me to, to just do a good job. And it's God's presence that, presence that has helped me overcome my perceived lack of ability and, and helps me to, to, to do the job that I have to do. And he, God's presence helps us to overcome our fears. When we fear we have nothing to offer, when we fear we won't be successful, when we fear that we're destined to fail, God's presence helps us overcome and be victorious. And this is so important. Let me talk a little bit more about this. Because how do we, how do we, uh, obtain or how do we get God's presence in our lives? So it's, first of all, God's presence comes through Jesus. So to have God's presence, you need to receive Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. That's going to be the first thing. To really have God's presence and to have uh, it affect your life and to help, it, help you overcome your lack of ability and skill and talents, whether it's real or perceived in your mind or in somebody else's mind, you first need to have Jesus in your life to receive Him into your life as Lord and Savior. John 1.12 says that to all who received Him, to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So it's a matter of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to receive Christ? Now when Lillian and I got married, we stood in front of, of a minister 
And he asked me this question. He said, do you, do you receive this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? To love and respect, to honor and cherish. Remember those words? In sickness and in health, in prosperity and in adversity. And forsaking all others, he said. Forsaking all others to keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live. So he asked me, do you receive her to be your wife and forsake everybody else? And of course I said, I do. I do. It was exciting. Okay. That's, now that's the idea of what it means to receive Christ. It's an exclusive commitment. You receive him as your Lord and Savior and you forsake all other claims on your life. In order that you might follow Jesus and to serve him exclusively. So it has to start with receiving Jesus in your life exclusively as your Lord and Savior. And then another way to ensure God's presence is uh, for us to get plugged into a church. For us to get plugged into the church. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir. But somebody else might be listening to me on a podcast or Facebook this morning. And, and this is a very important point. To get plugged in and to stay plugged in to a church. Because the church is God's plan. The church is a family. It's a family that enjoys God's presence together. Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're by yourself, Jesus is not with you. If you're by yourself, God is not with you, only when there are two or three. No, not at all. God is always with us. But there's something about the synergy of two or three coming together to pray. Two or three coming together to worship God together. There's a synergy that's created where God's presence becomes real, becomes evident. Psalm 22, 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned on the praises of Israel because he's the one that we, uh, whether Israel in the Old Testament or the spiritual Israel, whether we as a church or the Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter when we praise God together in a group, then God's presence is evident. It generates this, this uh, ambiance, this atmosphere where we feel God's presence. And so get plugged into a church, stay plugged into a church. And a third way to appropriate God's presence in your life is, is simply by meeting with him daily. Having a devotional time of Bible reading and occasionally Bible study and prayer. All the great men and women of God in the scriptures and throughout history did this. Including Jesus, he would get up early while it was still dark. Jesus, who was the son of God, he would go out and find a solitary place and he would pray. And when Lillian and I were engaged, we spent several months apart. Uh, my parents moved to San Angelo while I was in college. So when I graduated college, I came over here while I looked for a job. And so I graduated in December and couldn't get a teaching job right away, not till the next fall. So during that spring semester I was here, I was substituting at uh, different schools around here. And she stayed back in Corpus. And this was before cell phones, you understand, before texting and Skyping and all the technology that allows people to stay connected these days. We stayed connected through an occasional phone call, not too often because that was long distance. Remember long distance <laughs> when you had to pay extra? And so that was long distance. And uh, so it was mostly through letters. She'd write to me, I'd write back to her. And I live for those days. I live for those days. 
when I got a letter from her. Her words kept me going. And I'd read her letters and she'd tell me what she was doing and then how much she loved me and all that. You know, all that stuff. You know, love letters. And then I'd read the letter and I'd read it again. And then I'd just notice everything about her handwriting. Oh, look at the way she crosses her T's. That's just so romantic. And, you know, I couldn't get enough of those letters. Her letters to me, and then I would write, I'd write to her. And I think that's the way it is with God. It's hard to feel down when you read that God loves you, when you're reading in His Word, that God loves you and that God has a plan for you. We're talking about getting married. We had a very simple wedding, very simple wedding, very simple. It's a long story, but just a very simple wedding, simple uh, wedding trip, nothing fancy. Uh, but we were talking about this. We were making plans. And so when you read in God's word that God loves you and that God has a plan for you, or, you, or when you read the stories about God, how God intervened in the lives of his people and how he demonstrated his love and compassion for the people that were hurting, that were harassed, how he loved them and took care of them. I mean, that encourages us. That will encourage you when you read God's word. And, and uh, you know, we can't talk about reading the Bible without talking about prayer because uh, those are the twin towers, right? Twin towers. And I'm not much on platitudes. I'm not much on, on these trite sayings that sometimes people put on their bumper stickers. I'll see a saying on the bumper sticker and I think, oh, brother, that's dumb. You know, I, I don't get into that much. But I, I, I did see one uh, saying that made a lot of sense. And you're going to think, yeah, that's dumb. Because I, I kind of thought initially when I saw this on a bumper sticker, I thought, well, that's dumb. That's not going to convince anybody. But then as I thought about it, it kind of made more sense to me. And, and it was a bumper sticker that said, God isn't dead. I just talked to him this morning. Now, when I saw that, I thought, well, that's dumb. Like, that, somebody's going to become a Christian because they, oh, I guess there is a God. I guess he's not dead. But then I realized, you know, it, it makes sense to me because... When I pray, I have such a sense of God's presence. Now, sometimes I pray and I don't feel anything, and it's still prayer. It's still powerful. But sometimes I pray and, and I just feel God's presence. And so I thought, okay, I guess that bumper sticker kind of makes sense. I still wouldn't put it in my car. You know, I still I don't like to do that. But it's just something about prayer that will encourage you and you feel God's presence. And so that's a, a good way to appropriate God's presence in your life. Now, let's get back to the story of Gideon. God told Gideon to begin, what he was going to do was he was going to begin delivering Israel. And there was, this was kind of like a pretest in his life. He told him to begin by tearing down an altar that had been built right there in Israel to the false god Baal. Now, Baal was a god that the Midianites worshipped and many other people in, in, in uh, ancient Mesopotamia worshipped Baal. And... He, the worship of Baal was associated with prostitution. The worship of Baal was associated with superstition. It was associated with even infant sacrifice. I mean, this is a very dark time in, 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 in the history of Israel because there was an altar to Baal right there among the Israelites. It had to stop. So God said, first things first, before you deliver Israel from the Midianites, you need to go tear that altar to Baal down. But here's a kicker. That altar was not built by the Midianites. It was built by the Israelites. But it gets worse. It wasn't built by just any Israelite. This altar was built by Gideon's father. 
Gideon's own father had built this altar to Baal. Now, how often do you think that, that Gideon had stood up to his dad? Remember Gideon's claim when he said, hey, I'm, I'm the least in my family. You think he had stood up to his dad? I wouldn't think so. All this time he sees his dad doing this. He's, just, he's the dad. He's not going to confront him. And now God is not only telling him to confront him, but go tear down that altar. So the Bible tells us that Gideon took ten of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his father, he was afraid of the men of the town, he did it at night when everybody was sleeping. So the next morning, the men of the town went out. Who tore down this altar? Well, they investigated. It turns out they found out it was Gideon. And so they wanted to kill him. As you can imagine, they wanted to kill Gideon. And so they came to his father. And here's what his father said. His father said, look, if Baal is really God, Baal can take care of himself. Let him take care of himself. And that's how he was able to save his son. But what we find out is that things didn't turn out according to Gideon's fears. He, he was afraid of his father. He was afraid of the men in town. And sure, they wanted to kill him. But it turns out that, you know, he was afraid of his lack of skill and talent. Afraid, you know, he, so, much, uh, so afraid that he did it at night you know, instead of during the day. But he discovered that God was with him all along. And the key was that Gideon obeyed God's instructions, even though it was something that was hard to do. It was something that was hard to do. He still, he, he did it. Look, he struggled with obedience. He did. He did it at night. Then when God told him, gave him instructions for delivering Israel from the Midianites, he, you know, some of you know the story, he, he didn't quite take God at his word yet. He said, okay, God, if, if this is really you, then I'm going to put out a fleece. Remember that? I want you to work this miracle, make the ground wet and this fleece dry. And then he, God did that. Then he says, okay, let's do it the opposite where the ground is dry and the fleece is wet. You know, all that was rooted in, in a lack of trust. Because God had already told him, I'm with you. But God went along with him because God knows how hard we struggle often with obedience. I don't want to make it sound like obedience is so easy. Just do it. You know, there, there's temptations, there's struggles. Now, we should do it, and we should attempt to just do it. But sometimes we struggle with this, but the key is, even through your struggles, let's eventually obey God. Let's obey God. Because here's, here's the next important point about obedience. Obedience trumps talent every time. It might be true that, that Gideon didn't have the abilities, at least he didn't know he had the abilities to lead people to obey God. But when he did it, it turns out that, oh, God is with me. They're not going to kill me. And yeah, my dad stood up to them. My dad spoke on my behalf. Then he, he figured out, he realized, okay, so God is with me. And because he obeyed. Obedience trumps talent every time. Have you ever watched a sporting event where a less talented team beats a better team because they executed better and the, the talented team maybe relied on, on their own individual talent and the less talented team executed the, the game plan better. I love those stories. I love those games. I love to see that. Now, when it comes to God, obedience, which is the execution of the game plan, trumps talent every time. You might say, I'm not talented enough to be successful. I'm not talented enough to have a breakthrough in my life or at my job. But whether that's a real lack of talent or a perceived lack of talent, that doesn't matter if you learn to obey 
God's commands. And God delights in our obedience. He delights in our obedience. Because our obedience is an expression of of complete trust in Him. How many of you as parents understand that? God delights in our obedience because our obedience is an expression of complete trust in Him. If you're a parent, you understand that. Don't you delight in your children's obedience? Don't you make a big deal when they're young and they do as they're told? You make a big deal about that. God delights in us when we obey. Let me finish with this. The reality, I I believe, is that all of you do have something to offer. You do have a talent. That's the way God created us, with different skills, with different abilities. It may not be as visible as the more obvious ones, but you do have an ability. You do have a talent. And I want you to think about this. Whatever talents you may have, whatever talent you may have, combined with God's presence in your life and your willingness to obey and to carry out God's word will make a huge difference in your life and in the lives of those around you. So maybe your first step is to discover what God has enabled you to do. Maybe your first step is to begin to pray and Begin to find, okay, what's my passion? Different people have different passions, right? I don't have a passion for something that maybe you have a passion for and you're good at. Maybe your talent will come out of that passion. Maybe your talent, your ability will come out of, out of what the experiences you've been through, the, the trials you've been through, the valleys you've been through. Because, we, you know, we don't grow up knowing how to handle problems. We learn how to handle them as we go through those problems. So through your background, through your training, when you went to school, what you were good at in school. I was good at English, and I loved English when I was in school. And so now I find myself writing sermons, and I'm using all kinds of things that I, I learned when I, uh, when I took English in high school and college. And, that, and I'm drawn to that. So maybe what you're drawn to... Is part of your ability. You combine that with God's presence. You learn to seek God's presence and to say to God, if you don't go with me, God, then I'm not going to go. If you're not sending me into this part of, into, into this scenario, if you're not sending me into this job, if you're not sending me into this city, if you're not sending me into this relationship, I won't go with you because if your presence doesn't go with me, I, you know, don't make me go. I won't go. If you seek God's presence and if you learn to obey God, to follow through what God has commanded you to do, that will make a huge difference in your life and in the lives of those around you. I'm going to invite you to bow for prayer. Father, we, we come to you today so grateful that we don't have to do life alone. We don't have to face difficult situations by ourselves because you are with us. I thank you, God, that you have give, given every one of us an ability, a skill, a talent. It might not be one of the more obvious ones. It might be something that maybe has been hidden in our lives up to this point. I pray that you would help us to discover those abilities. And, and more than anything else, not, not to rely on our abilities, not to rely on our talents, but to rely in your presence to seek your presence every day. 
that we might say like Moses, if your presence doesn't go with me, God, I don't want to go. I don't want to make a move. And to learn to combine our talent and your presence with our obedience. Help us to obey. Help us to be obedient children, obedient servants. Because we know that blessing follows obedience. How many times have we thought, God, if, if, you, if you bless me at my job, then I'll obey you and I'll start to give. Or then I'll obey you and I'll start to do this one thing or another. And yet your word tells us that first we obey and then the blessing comes. Help us to do that, Lord, as we begin this time of seeking your presence this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name.